how a decision to integrate a small private school in 1965 continues to have a positive impact on one particular family. Welcome to the Experiences Podcast. I'm your host, Germano Denise. This podcast looks at the experiences of individuals working in spaces where they are one of one or one of a few. Currently, I am one of those individuals who happens to work in a predominantly white environment. However, instead of focusing on my experiences as a member of the Robert Louis Stevenson School faculty, I have decided to share my personal story and the unique connection between my family and Robert U. Rickliffs, the founder of Stevenson School. Although I never had the opportunity to meet Mr. Rickliffs personally, I am thankful for what he has done for my family and for the Stevenson School community. Uh, Each year, a selection committee of alumni representing the Alumni Association chooses a member of the junior class to receive the Rickliffs Scholar Award. It's the highest non-academic award a junior can receive. Students are nominated for consideration by vote of their class and by the faculty on the basis of their good academic standing, interest and leadership in the life of the school and or local community, and involvement in extracurricular activities. The award is given each year to the student within that group of remarkable juniors who's determined to best exemplify the values that Mr. Rickless admired most in people, determination, responsibility, unselfishness, consideration for others, loyalty, duty, and courage, and who models the principles that have guided our school since its beginning, hard work, excellence in scholarship and citizenship, and belief in community. That's current Stevenson President Kevin Hicks presenting the 2020 Rickliffe Scholar Award. Although Mr. Rickliffe passed away in 1985, his memory lives on through this prestigious award. Before I reveal the most recent recipient, I thought it might be best if I start at the beginnings of Stevenson School and my family's journey to this special place. Located less than a mile from the Pacific Ocean and surrounded by world-class golf courses, Stevenson School is a hidden gem tucked away in the Delmonte Forest. Nestled in Pebble Beach, California, some 125 miles south of San Francisco, Stevenson School was founded in 1952 and was known as the Delmonte School for Boys until 1954. It was later renamed Robert Louis Stevenson in honor of the famous author who fell in love with the area in 1879. Stevenson described Monterey Peninsula as the greatest meeting of land and sea in the world. Robert Rickliffs had a vision to create a boarding school that would satisfy the need for an educational environment which would develop the vital qualities of leadership, scholarship, a solid grasp of the fundamental tools of learning, a high sense of honor and integrity, a sympathetic understanding of all people, vision, courage, and ambition. His goal was to have students live, work, and play in an atmosphere charged with a spirit of accomplishment, intellectual curiosity, and understanding. Those qualities still exist in Stevenson students today, and it is fitting to have the highest non-academic award to be named in his honor. In the early years, Stevenson had always enrolled a few Asian students from wealthy international families. It wasn't until 1965 that Stevenson considered admitting an American student of color. At the urging of Stevenson trustee Arthur Dahl, Stevenson actively recruited and enrolled its first African-American student, Michael Jackson. Mike Green, as he was known in those days, as he used his stepfather's name when he first enrolled, is my first cousin and the first family connection to Stevenson. Although Michael is 20 years older than I am, he is my first cousin and the second oldest of my nearly 41st cousins. 
Michael Jackson, my cousin, and Michael Jackson, the pop superstar, share the same name. And to me, he was just as famous. Michael was the cousin who made it. He graduated from Stanford, drove a BMW, and was as cool as they come. My mother worked for his father during my childhood, and it was always a delight when Michael came to town. For a short period, he worked with my mother and uncle, and I will always remember the enormous frame picture of Jimi Hendrix that he had in his office. It was so cool to look at this larger-than-life figure, and I told myself that I wanted to be like Michael when I grew up. He made it clear to me at an early age that Stevenson was a transformative place and how it shaped the direction of his life. One of my first questions that I asked him during our conversation was to give me his initial impressions of Mr. Rickliffs. I just remember him being kind. As a kid, 14, 15 years old, I just remember him being a kind, elderly, white gentleman uh, who was very well-dressed and thoughtful. And that bore out to be true as I got to know him. Prior to Michael's arrival on campus, Mr. Rickliffs worked with his administrative team and other students to make sure that Michael had the appropriate support system in place when he arrived. Socially, Michael was able to make friends quickly and came to love the structure, routines, and friendly competition both in and out of the classroom. I didn't know they had done all this preparation for my arrival. Interviewing people to see who wanted to be my roommate, finally choosing a roommate for me, my first roommate, Stephen Pollinger really helped me figure out how to study because I had come from a public school where basically if you handed in your work and it was pretty good work, you got an A or a B. <laughs> That's just the way it was. When I got to Stevenson, it was very, very different. Every paper had to be done well. When you got comments, as you know, from your time there, you had to redo that paper and you had to redo it perfectly based upon the comments and the rubrics that the faculty gave you. Because if you didn't, your grade would go down lower. After getting off to a slow start earning sub 80% grades, Michael diligently worked to improve his study habits. His most valuable resource was his roommate, Steve. And with his support and other tutors, Michael's grades began to improve. So that really was very motivating. But Steve was really great. He proofread my papers and he would say to me, you know, you got to put in more time. You got to put in more time. And I didn't really realize what he meant, but he was, as you and I have discussed, you have to put in time on the task. You have to really concentrate. Michael went on to explain to me that his teachers wanted to see improvement and explained to me that once you reached a high level of achievement, you had to stay there. No slacking off, no backing down from trying to do a work on all assignments. As a result, he became a much stronger student and graduated near the top of his class after starting out near the bottom. Outside of the classroom, Michael was elected junior class president, won the school-wide decathlon in each of his three years, and was the athlete of the year as a senior. His excellent academic and athletic achievements earned him acceptance to Stanford University, and he credits Stevenson School with changing the trajectory of his life. I was able to, from Stevenson, go on to Stanford University and have an incredible experience there and meet all kinds of people, work for a professor, in the School of Education, became the Dean of the School of Education at the University of Massachusetts. And he invited me to apply to become a doctoral student there after graduating from Stanford. And I did that and I earned my doctorate in educational administration, higher ed finance. 
and went on to have a really cool, exciting career in higher education that gave me an opportunity to help shape the lives of thousands and thousands of students. One of those students was me. Michael's fondness for Stevenson is evident, and he encouraged me to take a long and hard look at the school. Initially, I was not interested, and I too attended a large public school for ninth grade. But something was missing. After a successful freshman year, I decided to explore Stevenson, and once I set foot on campus, I realized how and why it changed the life of my cousin. I will never forget the first day I came to campus. It was a sunny spring day, and my tour guide was a guy from Oakland named Jeff Surratt. We had a mutual family friend, and he made me and my family feel very welcome. If accepted, I was definitely coming. I had the support of my parents, my Uncle Al, and most of all, my cousin Michael. When I arrived on campus for moving day, the first person that I can remember meeting was Chris Seaside Simons. The two of us became close friends and remain close even to this day. Since Michael's arrival on campus 20 years earlier, there were many more students of color, and I knew that my social experience would be different than his. However, little did I know that our path to academic success would travel similar roads. Well, that's pretty funny. You and I had the same deal with the summer reading. I didn't realize you had to really read it. Then I showed up in class and, Mr. Jackson, what about so and so? I said, Well, Sir, I haven't read the book. He says, what do you mean you haven't read the book? Well, you got three days to read the book and do a book report. I went, yes, sir. During the summer prior to my enrollment, I received all of the information about the school. My parents and I filled out the forms and gathered the required items. But there was one thing that we failed to see, and that thing was the summer reading list. Unlike Michael, I had to read multiple books. And although I found out this information before school started, I was behind already. Little did I know that this minor oversight would lead to a fork in the road moment for me a week or so later. I easily read through the first book. If I can recall correctly, it was Cannery Road written by John Steinbeck. And I made it through a good portion of the second book. I talked to my English teacher, Biff Smith, also known as Biffy Poo, and he and I came up with a plan to assess my understanding. The first few days of school flew by. I was playing football, meeting new people, and just soaking up the experience. Stevenson had a student-run radio station, and I was so excited to have a show. I couldn't wait to play Eddie Murphy's Party All the Time on my show on Super Soul Sunday. It was the first weekend of school, and word on the street was that there were going to be several parties. Somehow, me and a few other sophomores hitched a ride to one of the parties, and it was nothing like I had ever seen before. There were people everywhere, and all I can remember was a ninth grade boy coming up to me and asking me if I wanted to have a sip of his beer. I said, sure. I didn't think much of it. I had never been to a party with alcohol, and I got caught up in the moment. I stayed with my friends, drank Diet Coke for the remainder of the night. I returned to school, checked in with the faculty member, and went to sleep. Easy peasy. At least that's what I thought. I woke up the very next morning only to realize that a new student had signed out to Jenny's Rager in the Highlands, and this set off a firestorm of events. There were also several others who returned to campus in an altered state the previous night, so the campus was buzzing with students trying to get their story straight. I didn't think much of it, and I went about my morning. I planned to ride the bus into Monterey. However, old Biffy Poo had a summer reading quizzy poo waiting for me the next day. I was forced to stay in my room and to read, 
and not long after settling into the book, the knocks on the door started to happen. Teachers wanted answers, and they were going room to room questioning students. I lived in Balfour, a dorm with paper-thin walls, and I could hear the teachers asking the boys next door if they had attended any parties the night before. My neighbor was at the party and definitely drank, but he lied. My heart started to race. I knew that I was next, and suddenly I was face-to-face with Bob Henderson. He asked me if I went to the party, and I told him yes. He also asked me if I drank, and I told him that I took a sip from another person. He didn't ask who the person was, and I'm not sure if he really did say this, but I swear I remember him saying with a smirk on his face, well, you should have had a six pack. He told me to call home and off he went to the next room. I called home crying and became that kid who got in trouble the very first weekend of school. I went through the disciplinary process and was placed on probation. Although my start was a little rocky, I flourished that year and I knew that I had made the right choice in coming to Stevenson. To this day, I wonder what would have happened if I would have read my books and not been in my room on that fateful day. And for many years, I was angry with Bob Henderson and the boy one room over who lied. Little did I know was that in that moment when I could have clearly lied, I didn't. And that cemented my reputation with Bob. I never knew it, but that fork in the road moment left a lasting impression on him and he let me know that the day before I graduated from Stevenson. When I returned to teach at Stevenson in 2001, Stevenson assistant headmaster and legend Frank Keith, one of the few individuals remaining on campus from Michael's days, shared with me the counselor letter that was written on my behalf. The letter was filled with compliments, but also talked about the struggles that I encountered in the classroom. Bob Henderson writes, By his own admission, Germano never had to do more than a half an hour of homework before his arrival at Stevenson. The workload here was, therefore, a great shock, particularly the amount of reading and writing expected. But Germano was undeterred by the new demands, and he has been a solid B-level student throughout his career. Like Michael, I diligently worked to improve myself in the classroom, and the letter went on to say, responsive to criticism, and willing to seek extra help when necessary. He listens to suggestions and aggressively strives to improve. I was touched by these words, but the thing that meant the most to me was his description of me, the individual. Henderson closed the letter by stating, Germano is gregarious and loves people. Modest and self-effacing, this demeanor belies his determined and confident outlook on the world. He is unintimidated by challenges and he is an individual of unimpeachable integrity. He has my most enthusiastic recommendation. My decision to tell the truth combined with three years of hard work gave me the opportunity to choose from a number of respectable colleges and universities. Unfortunately, I was not admitted to Stanford like Michael. I was waitlisted. However, I was able to forge my own path at Claremont McKenna College. I was grateful for the opportunity to attend Stevenson and made sure to thank all of those individuals who helped me along the way. When I left the Monterey Peninsula in 1988, never did I imagine that I would someday return to the hidden gem in the forest, and that the legacy of the Denise Jackson family would continue. I returned to Stevenson in 2001 as a math teacher, and my family and I currently reside on campus. Unlike Michael and I, my daughter, Dana Denise, 
arrived on the Pebble Beach campus thoroughly prepared for the academic challenges that Stevenson presented. There were no summer reading mishaps or roommates imploring her to work harder. Her road to academic success was paved by eight years of private education at Stevenson's Carmel campus. Both Michael and I deal with the reality of being away from home. Dana, on the other hand, felt like she was living and going to school in a fishbowl and that all eyes were on her. She talked about this very topic in one of her college essays. As a faculty kid, I felt an added pressure that other students did not face because of who I was and who taught me. I was now being taught by people who have known me my entire life, and in all honesty, I've struggled with it at times. My dad's cousin was the first African-American to attend Stevenson, and he later encouraged my dad to apply. My dad attended and graduated Stevenson and returned to teach and raise our family on campus. As a student, I constantly think about how lucky I am to live in Pebble Beach and attend Stevenson. So I never want to disappoint anyone, especially my parents who have sacrificed so much for me and my siblings to be a part of the pirate community. In your essay, you talk about you struggled at times. Can you tell me or give me examples of how and why you struggled? I think in general, struggling with how to separate home and school was really hard for me to navigate at first. I felt like it was pretty blurred and I didn't know if what I was more considered if I was more considered a day student or a boarder and kind of trying to navigate and find my place within the community that I lived in for so long, but finding kind of a new place within it because I had always been a faculty kid. I'd always felt connected to the community. But when I was in high school, I realized there wasn't a huge divide between boarders and day students, but there was one visible enough to know like you're one or the other. And I never felt like I was either. I always felt somewhere in the middle and trying to find myself was very hard in the beginning and who I wanted to hang out with and who um, I belonged with. You've talked about feeling like you were in a fishbowl at times. What made you feel that way? I think there's just any interaction I have with my teachers who I know outside of school is different and they'll say things that aren't even a big deal, but shows that they know me on a more personal level and sometimes I think that's just uncomfortable because I can be in a classroom trying to be Dana as a student and Dana at school but they'll still see me as Dana their neighbor and I can still at times see them as Mr. or Mrs. my neighbor so that was really hard you would come home sometimes and say oh so and so said you did this well or so and so said this and it could be something so positive but I was stuck in this people are telling my dad things people are seeing me do things Now I don't worry as much because I think I've really found myself and found my place within the community and made Dana Denise separate from Germano Denise, Michael Jackson, while still being like associated. But I think I've really found myself and I'm not really as worried anymore at this point. Was there a specific moment in time where you felt like the switch happened and you could just be you and not worry about being Dana Denise, the daughter of Germano Denise or the younger cousin slash niece of Uncle Michael? I think my junior year was a really big turning point for me. I felt that all of a sudden I was a lot older. I learned how to deal with situations better and could handle myself and was really set in who my friends were and kind of what I believed in and what I saw for myself in my future. And I think what I was going back to what I was talking about earlier with just trying to find my place, I also just got used to it bottom line is like you're put in the situation you have to adapt eventually and you just learn to do that and by the time I was a junior I was like this is how it is make the most of it kind of and 
look at it from a glass half full instead of a glass half empty type deal. On behalf of the alumni committee, it's my pleasure to present the 2020 Rickliff Scholar Award to Dana Denise. Congratulations, Dana. Although Dana was concerned about going to school in the shadow of her dad and her uncle Michael, she forged her own path, made her own name, and set the bar even higher. She has flourished in the classroom as a student leader and as an athlete. She was admitted to USC and will begin her freshman year in the fall. Mr. Rickliffe's admired determination, responsibility, unselfishness, consideration for others, loyalty, duty, and courage. I could point to a specific example of Dana living out each and every one of these values on a daily basis because they seem to be exactly the code by which she has chosen to live amongst us. While I have never taught Dana in an academic setting, I have been blessed for the last 10 years to closely observe her journey, and what I have witnessed is echoed by those that have spent hours with her in both academic and extracurricular settings. Not only is she a stellar student, but Dana's light and joy are apparent and infectious. She sets clear-minded goals and actionable steps towards achieving them. Her ideas are rich and provocative in an intuitive and informed way. She cares about others, not just her family, inner circle, friends, or school, but also the world around her. She is willing to take risks and make mistakes along the path to success, which is essential to achieve meaningful growth. One of her teachers writes, finding success is not easy. As such, the students who find more success are those willing to make mistakes, experiment, and try new things. The right attitude makes all the difference. Dana is the epitome of the right attitude. Not only does she bring a positive, hardworking, and no fear approach to class every day, she does it with an infectious smile that elevates the learning for her classmates. A model student, Dana is unafraid to learn from mistakes, adjust, and move forward. She is truly a dream student. Receiving this award was no small feat, and our family was truly touched by the kind and considerate words written by my friend and colleague, Justin Climo. Understanding the family connection with Mr. Rickliffs while creating her own story in the family history, Dana was inspired to write one of her college essays on the importance of receiving such a prestigious award. Uncle Michael, along with other alums, realized the importance of the precedent set by Mr. Rickliffs and his determination to create the learning environment to challenge students and build a supportive community. Consequently, the school created an award in honor of his dreams. I appreciate the value of hard work. It is satisfying to earn a report card with straight A's. I was never motivated by outside pressures or incentives. I simply wanted to do my best. Stevenson is special to me, so I have loved getting involved in sports and leadership, but I had no idea that these activities would lead to me winning such a prestigious award. If there was ever a way to thank Mr. Rickliffs and my family, it is through this award. Without Mr. Rickliffs's vision to integrate the school, my family would have led a very different life. It is amazing how one decision can have a continued impact on future generations. I feel proud to know that their efforts and sacrifices led to this, and that as a young woman of color, I've been able to achieve so much in my 18 years of life. Robert Rickliffs took a chance on a young boy, and his investment continues to pay dividends. Michael has given back to the Stevenson community in every way possible. He has been the president of the Alumni Association, is a member of the Board of Trustees, and in 1999, he and his wife, Bishop Diana Akiyama, established the Jackson Akiyama Fund. The fund was set up to support financial aid for deserving students who can contribute to diversity at Stevenson School. It's all because RLS 
plucked me out of obscurity. And I just believe it's incumbent upon me to pay it back and to support other young men and women like me, regardless of race, but who are who need a, a boost in life with the hope that they will take their gifts and their talents and share them with other people and not just live off, off the fat of the land and say thank you very much and not give anything back. My cousin specifically stated that Stevenson changed the trajectory of his life. However, in the most recent Stevenson Alumni Magazine, he is credited with changing the trajectory of Stevenson School. Mr. Rickliffs gave Michael the gift of Stevenson. He gave it to me and my wife Diane and I have given it to our children. Our family is a living and breathing example of Mr. Rickliffs' vision and we continue to be grateful for everything that Stevenson has done for us. Thank you for tuning in to the Experiences Podcast. I would like to thank my guests, Dr. Michael Jackson and Dana Denise, for taking the time to share their stories with me and the listeners. I would also like to thank Bob Henderson, Stevenson President Dr. Kevin Hicks, and Athletic Director Justin Climo for their contributions to this podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes of the Experiences Podcast. And if you would like to find out more about our guest and other information about the show, make sure to follow us at The Experiences Podcast on Instagram. Take care, be well, and see you next time.